everybody and everything, almost. There's advocates for sea urchins in the ocean right now. There's, um, there's advocates for the penguins in Antarctica. There's advocates for starving children in Timbuktu. You know, there's an advocate for everybody. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about advocates right here in the United States of America. But who, where is the advocate for the gang member? Who is the advocate for the pimp? Who is the advocate, the true advocate for the prostitute? Who understands them? Who understands why they are into what they're into? Okay? That's what this is about. So we, we are going to be a voice for the voiceless. And if that's if I'm used as that vessel to get that message to you so that you can do your work better, then so be it. And I'm happy to do so. So, yeah, I feel it is imperative that, you know, first, you need an introduction. You know, I don't like to, I do a lot of meetings and I, I'll, you know, teach a lot and host a lot of classes. And I'll always start off with an <clears throat> introduction. And not just the introduction. But then we go into, how do you feel today? I want to know how the people around me feel. So you know how you feel. You know, I, I can't hear you, but you can hear me. My name is Armand King. Um, I run a, a nonprofit organization. I'm a co-founder of a nonprofit organization here in San Diego, California, called Paving Great Futures. Um, we aim at helping the lifestyles and of current and former gang members current and former uh, pimps and prostitutes, people in adverse, bad situations, people in impoverished communities throughout here in San Diego. Been doing this since 2013 um, as a nonprofit. We have been actually doing the work since 2012. I personally took on the role of, of human sex trafficking survivor advocate. And when I speak on survivors, not only am I talking about the females that may have been involved in the game, but the males. I was born in 1981. I've lived my early childhood through the 80s. As of course, I was born in 81, but I was um, throughout the 80s, which in the urban uh, communities here in San Diego, which as many know, that was a time of gang, of major gang activity. Uh, that was a, a time where, where I grew up with all of my older cousins, the people I looked up to, were deeply entrenched into gang lifestyle. Um, crack, the crack epidemic was at full, full swing at that time. I have uh, aunties, uncles that were taken over by crack cocaine. Its influence had not only touched my family, my this my, my my distant family, but my immediate family. I was raised in a household with um, an older sister and um, two cousins. Two cousins. My mom raised. My grandmother raised. Uh, between um, my early years, junior high school years, one was a, a baby, a small baby, one two years old. My mom had to rescue her from a, a crack house and took her because their mom was on drugs. My other cousin was my same age, but due to the, uh, that crack epidemic, it destroyed the family structure throughout urban communities in America, and I grew up within that era. So I seen firsthand the destruction and what drugs can do. Coming up into my junior high school years, 
uh, as a young man searching for uh, not just belonging to something, but at that time, gangs were actually cool. Gangs were the, um, it was the, the thing you, you wanted to be in, regardless of your, your family household. You could have had two parents in your house. You could have had, um, you could have not been poor. You could have not been impoverished. Gangs were so attractive. It was the cool, it was the norm. It, it, it was, it was what, what you wanted to be. There was no other real, here in San Diego at least, there was no real other um, older black male influences that captured our attention outside of Snoop Dogg, outside of the public figures that we've seen that were out there, young black men, and the music reflected these attitudes and it reflected uh, what we wanted to be like. And then the community in itself, um, you know, as a youngster, talking about me and many of my peers, you don't listen to mom, dad, preacher, teacher when you're young. They don't have the influence of you. They might be telling you all the right stuff in the world, and they were, but you didn't listen to them. Who you listened to was a slightly older, cool person in your neighborhood, you know, and unfortunately, those people were misguided. Those people, too, who had no, no knowledge of what to do better with their lives, teaching us three things, how to gangbang, how to sell drugs, and how to pimp. And we did all three. So yes, um, I will go into detail throughout the duration of this podcast. I don't, I don't foresee this ending anytime soon, but um, I was going to give you a brief overview of who you're listening to so you understand, you know, this guy, he, um, he means what he says, and he's actually seen the stuff he's talking about. So, yeah, in my junior high school years, um, I call that, that was like my wannabe gang member stages. Um, uh, I was able to, to escape that going into high school. But a lot of my, uh, even then, it was a, a shift from gang banging, being a gang member, into what we called, uh, at that time, was the pretty boy player stage. At that time at early I'll say ninth grade, tenth grade, we were getting we were into me and my core group of friends, it was seven of us, created a clique um, called Playgirls Fantasy, the fantasy. Guys this clique and we're our, our goal and, and drive was uh, getting girls. Getting girls to not only just you know to basically have young males whose hormones is crazy not just to have sex with and uh, do what a lot of young teens do, young teen males do, thinking with body parts they shouldn't, not their brain. That was us going to parties, dancing. But another aspect of this with us impoverished young young males is we were trying to get girls for their money. It started off in, and you know at at lunch during school time, collecting dollars, asking asking for money. The girls we were dating and around, they had to buy us stuff, buy us food, buy us clothes, whatever the case may be. So at, some, at every point of my relation with a female in my um, early years, early high school years, my friend's early high school years, was us getting money from girls. At that time, it was just called juicing. I really honestly did not have any 
real concept or idea of what a pimp was. Now, I knew from the imagery and urban culture of what a pimp was, but I never really dove into the actual act of pimping or prostitute. Never previous to this that I wake up in the morning and say, when I grow up, I want to be a pimp. When I get older, I want a pimp. I never thought this, never heard this from my peers. It, it just was something that ended up happening. So from those years of just juicing girls, as we called it, getting them for money, um, it, uh, I remember one day, it might have been late in my 10th grade year, sophomore year, coming home, or uh, me and my group of friends coming home from high school, getting in a living room, uh, turning on HBO, and for some odd reason, HBO had a special running called Pimped Up, Hosed Down. I believe firmly that was my first real, real introduction to the pimp lifestyle. Now we turned on this television and we, we watched, watched black men with diamonds and nice cars and girls that were attentive to them as they described and talked about the, um, how good this lifestyle was. It was not only attractive and appealing to us, but it, 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 it finally, we finally, I finally felt like maybe that was something for me, something that I could do. The girls didn't look unhappy. The guys looked really happy. Nothing seemed wrong with it. Not morally, not, uh, you know, it just didn't seem wrong. It looked, it looked okay, and it was made to be appealing to us. So, Pimps Up, Hold Down, well, it was playing religiously every day. I knew, like, right around the time we came home from school, so we soaked up every bit and piece of information that we could from Pimps Up, Hold Down. I don't know what it was about that particular era and time right there, but for some reason, it wasn't just coming from the pimps up, hold down, but a lot of stuff around us was shifting from an era of gangbanging into money. You know, the music we were listening to, the rap culture was shifting from lowriders and dickies and all this um, uh, killing and uh, talk, stuff like that. And the rap that we were starting to listen to, the hip-hop that we were listening to, was merging into a lot of pimping and money. From Nelly, she only won me for my pimp juice, Jay-Z, big pimping, you know. And then the underground California rappers that we were listening to, the, the ones we uh, really, really have been looking up to almost our entire life at this point, were all merging into a tone of pimping. We even started calling the, 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 the genre of rap, we, uh, pimp rap. We knew we that were able to, at 16, 17 years old, to make distinctive gang, uh, gangster rap and pimp rap. I, I used to say that. I don't listen to anything else. I listen to gangster rap and pimp rap. So, so there was an obvious distinction there. Okay, going into um, previous, right before I turned 17, uh, I believe one of my best friends, he had finally decided to make the move. I think someone else had influenced him to do it. And we finally made the move to, to merge from our juicing player, playboy era of our early teens into actual full-blown pimping and pandering. We first hit El Cajon Boulevard. It was four of us, four kids, young teens on El Cajon Boulevard watching my best friend's girl go to work. For the first time, she was new to it. 
girl, you know, she'll remain nameless, but she was a friend of mine since 12 years old. Uh, Caucasian female, grew up in a great household, two-parent household. Didn't grow up in the in the in the inner city in the hood with us. She grew up in the suburbs, but for some reason was just really really attracted to the street life and attracted to the thug appeal of uh, young black men. She liked it, and uh, she always did. It was a known thing. It's nothing hidden. I didn't have to make this up. She was very outspoken about it at an early age. This merger into into prostitution, it wasn't a hard one, and she went right into it. We went right into it. Sat there on Elkhorn Boulevard. It was almost uh, a thrill and excitement that came at the early age. It felt like we were doing something, something great with our lives. And, when the, and it only, it only um, got verified when the money came in. When we were able to see money, my friend collect money that night. Might have been a few hundred dollars. I don't remember the exact amount, but we seen the money come in. No work. Feeling like big men, it it, 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 was, it it felt correct. It really, really did. And from there, we just merged from, I say, early, late 16, 17, 18. Went into the military for a while at 18. Did not like it. At 18 years old in the military, sent me, um, I was stationed in Texas and Florida the whole time. By this, by 18 years old, my mind was so engulfed in pimping. That's all I talked about. That's all I claimed. That's all I wanted to do. Even the girls when I was in the military, I was talking to them about becoming prostitutes, strippers. Um, it was, was the thing to do. In my city, even previous to leaving into the military, uh, pimping and, and, and prostitution at, at spread almost as like the crack epidemic did in the early 80s. If you even gang members were merging into pimping and pandering. Girl, it was almost uncool not to be getting money in the end, whether you was escorting, stripping, or, or straight prostitution. It, it was not just myself and my group of friends, but it seemed like everybody in our neighborhood had merged into this lifestyle we called the gang. Almost totally a rebirth of the 70s pimp era, but on steroids. And it happened. Now we're talking, we're talking late 90s, early, early 2000s. One thing about myself, um, even as all my friends were going full, full-fledged pimping and pandering, I never, even at an early age, claimed the title of pimp. I always claimed the title of MAC. And to us, a MAC meant the acronym M-A-C, Master All Categories, or Master the Art of Communication. As a MAC, I would not only, I did get money from girls, but I would get money any way I could, be it a white collar crime, um, uh, any way that I knew was a good revenue stream so for me to get money, get gain revenue, I tried it. So coming out of the military 18, when I, I had developed a scheme on getting money by selling marijuana in the location I was at. And I did this for quite some time, became very wealthy off of it, and ended up shortly after doing time in federal prison, you know, for that. So I ended up doing three years in uh, federal prison. 
I was housed in eight different institutions throughout the United States, Oklahoma, Atlanta, Riverside, Bakersfield, um, Oregon. I was placed all these different locations just due to the fact and the nature of my case and having to travel to all these locations. So this being my first time ever going to prison, ever being incarcerated, it, I, I, now I understand it was meant for me to go through all those locations to learn, to see, to understand how the operation is in all these different places, the nature of the inmates and the people in all these different places. Although at the time I didn't know that I was studying people, studying, uh, listening to the conversations that, um, that the other inmates were having because later on in life it would be necessary for me to know this stuff, to know what was happening in Alabama, know what was happening in Tallahassee, Florida, know how these things happen and um, the justice system that I would be able to use now to help others and to speak from a voice of someone knowledgeable about how the criminal justice system works throughout the United States, to know how the difference and what errors, what happens with pimping and prostitution in these different states. You know, gang, gang banging, drug dealing. You know, I was I was forced into firsthand research from the inside. So I did three years in the federal prison system. I came home scared straight. Right before I came home, my best friend, um, my best best friend, closer, more like a brother, was murdered by four little kids, four young teenagers. He was my best friend was um, probably the. the most successful pimp that I knew at that time, and three kids who were in the gang lifestyle um, due to whatever reason, they, they murdered my brother. This uh, took an effect and a toll on my heart, my mind, everything, to where I had to um, kind of, not kind of, I, had, I second thought my decision making. Even though when I came home from prison, um, I, I started, I got involved in a business venture business venture didn't do like I thought it was going to do and then shortly after I, I went back to what I knew and I got back involved in the pimp gang. I got back involved with, um, you know, this when the internet is just finally full, not even to its full extent, but um, emerging as a place and a platform for prostitution. So I started using uh, Backpage and Craigslist and all these different entities that were now available, city vibes, um, and posting ads for girls that I had. And I got it back involved in the pimp lifestyle, like a drug. Even though I knew it was wrong, didn't want to do it. And I wouldn't say even the pimping was the drug. The drug was the need and desire to have money and to take care of myself. And I had to get it the only way I knew how. No, I did not graduate college. No, I barely slid through high school. My education that way was, was not there. Exposure to jobs and opportunities and other things I could have been doing with my talent was not there. I had to do what I knew. And I knew how to pimp. I knew that was a means for me to make some money. And, and um, the lack of girls wanting to do this was not there. They were actually there in abundance. So yeah, after a real brief final run at, at trying to still be in the pimp game, my heart was just not in it anymore. My head wasn't there anymore. I'd just gone through three years of prison where I had learned so much about myself as a person, as a man, about life, 
reading for the first time ever. Never before had I really picked up a book and read it until I was in prison. So it was much more difficult for me with now knowledge of self, knowledge of opportunities that I read about real estate, I read about investments, I read about marketing, all these different things that I really had in me naturally, but never exercised or had any mentors or anybody that would guide me in the right direction and not use my uh, natural abilities and talents that I gained in the street towards positivity. So um, it was harder for me to continue in that destructive lifestyle of the game. And God was constantly, constantly working on my, my spirit and my head while I was in jail. So when I came home, it just it didn't feel right. I couldn't take the stuff that I was going through. So finally, I just had to stop. No, it wasn't no hard situation that just struck me. Or maybe it was with the death of my brother or my friend. That, that pain that I live with to, to, to this day that I will never be able to let go of. Knowing what lifestyle he was in before this happened. Seeing and finally facing and seeing the destruction of this last girl that I was with. Being able to looking at her and seeing how this she had been in this since she was 15. She's now in her, in her early, it was in her late 20s at the time. And seeing how this had destroyed her, looking at her. You know, who, who really at the time was claiming she loved the lifestyle, but could, I could tell she didn't. My heart was reopened to actually being a human being again, to actually being somebody, the person I was always intended to be by God, by life. So all of these things came together to bring me to where I'm at today and realizing how do I give back? How do I help stop the next generation? from going through these same hurdles and, and, and give them the options that I feel that myself and my friends were lacking. You know, sitting here, sitting here right now, recording this, thinking about how many friends I've lost to gangbanging game, to the pimp prostitution game. At some point in time, this had to stop. First, the voice of the voiceless, an advocate for the people that may never, ever, ever have a voice, but they will through me until my dying day. I thank you for tuning in, and we're gonna get deeper into all these situations and things that I've talked about, and I'm open for dialogue and conversation. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, the Voiceless, we're here for you.